Hey you, and welcome to Deconstructor of Fun podcast. This is your host, Mishka Katkov, and this is a new segment on our podcast. I'm recording this segment with my friend, Eric Suford, who's the founder of Mobile Dev Memo. Quantmar has worked in multiple different growth positions across some of the top companies, and um, is just the most knowledgeable person about growth that I know. We're going to dive into all topics regarding growth. Uh, We're going to call it how we see it. This podcast is going to be hopefully insightful, definitely opinionated, and most likely entertaining. So please review it, please like it, please share it, and please do DM us and let us know how you liked the uh, the episode and uh, what do you want to hear about in the future. So without further ado, uh, big kudos to our sponsors. We pretty much use just about every single product that uh, Iron Source offers. We're, we're completely integrated with the platform. Of course, the mediation products, all ad ad products, and the company that can assist us in doing UA and monetization and all the uh, additional products that come along with it. It takes a lot of uh, headache away from us. It takes a lot of the hard, busy work off of our hands. Having a kind of an all-in-one platform. You just heard Andrew Stone. He's the CEO at Random Logic Games, who use Iron Source's platform to grow their games in the smartest way possible. If you want to grow like Random Logic, you can get the SDK on Iron Source's website. That's ironsrc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com. So I wanted to just do a hot start because we always talk a bunch of bullshit and people are just like, get to the topic. So we're going to get right to the topic of, of various growth stuff. So you've been covering platform wars. And I looked at the previous post in Mobile Dev Memo and they go back to like 2017 and almost 2015. So you've seen this IDFA thing happen. You've seen what's going on with, with Apple and Facebook. And there's a lot of things that has happened throughout the years, like the, the App Store bans, the App Stores, App Store within the App Stores. There's the rewarded video ads that was blocked and then backtracked in 2014. There's the uh, the broken app discovery issue that was kind of fixed with the subscriptions and the search ads. Then Facebook started doing various moves from mobile app install products to ads on Instagram to audience network advertising platform to WhatsApp where they got all the phone numbers to the news feeds and the video ads to messenger ads to instant games. Like there's a bunch of stuff. And then when finally this IDFA deprecation happened, 
people were like, where is this coming from? And it's <laughs> yeah. been going on for such a long time because these are giant companies. So can you, yeah. can you walk me through of, of this platform war? Like, like, are we in the mobile missile? Like, are we in the uh, DEF content or whatever you call it? <laughs> or is this a Cuban missile crisis? Or is this a hot war, cold war? What's going on? Uh, I think it's a hot war. I mean, it's funny because, um, you know, the IDFA stuff took a lot of people by surprise. But, I mean, I've been writing about this stuff since 2017. Um, you know, just hypothesizing about what might happen. Um, and I think, you know, you could always kind of see that hostility between Apple and Facebook, right? I mean, it's funny because I wrote this, I wrote this piece in 2017 called uh, the coming war between Apple and Facebook. And I kind of laid all this out how I think it was how, how I thought it was going to play out. And I ran it by some people. And one of them was um, a former Facebook employees, good friend of mine, uh, whom, you know, I highly respect very, very intelligent guy. And, and he said, Look, this is great. But you know, they both have a common enemy, right? They both have a con common enemy that's Google. And so I couldn't see them actually going to war with each other because that would leave them both kind of vulnerable to Google, right? If they're sort of occupied with, um, you know, with this kind of um, open hostility, uh, you know, with each other, then Google could come in and, 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 uh, and sort of uh, exploit that. But I think what that, what hap what that missed, so what, what happened, and I think he was right at the time, and that's why this stuff kind of didn't, develop and didn't get hot and didn't spill over until now was that Facebook just had nowhere to go, right? If you thought of them as like um, a pot and the water was boiling and you know that lid's going to blow off soon. Like that's, I think Facebook or Apple got to the point where they're like, look, this, this lid's about to go. Facebook's ambition has always, ex you know, extended beyond just being a mobile like a mobile based platform or like a mobile app on your phone. Right. And they, they experimented with the Facebook phone. Um, you know, I don't know if you read that leaked email from Zuckerberg about potentially acquiring unity about why they would need to do that because they have to own the hardware. They have to own the form factor. So I think like this setup has existed at least since 2017, but I think it got hot because basically Facebook owned app store distribution, right? Facebook and, and to some extent Google, but it was more obvious with Facebook, um, and Google owns more of the pipe so they can kind of get away with it more. But Facebook was just this layer on top of the app store that basically ran a cash register, right? Like developers just pouring money into Facebook ads. Apple is not getting a cut and it was impacting the sort of look and feel and the, the, the tone of the app store, right? I mean, this is why, um, you know, a Apple has no control over the editor, edit, you know, the editorial anymore, like the, the popularity of apps, which apps, uh, Apple's not a kingmaker like which apps are popular, which apps hit the top of the charts. And I think that was part of the reason why they diversified the editorial a couple of years ago, right? And they created the different, um, you know, the sort of uh, the, the top apps page and the, the apps we like page. And they, they, they made it um, less of just a list of top apps, right? They actually added um, some commentary um, just so they could take back control. But really that's not where users discover apps. The app store is not a discovery mechanism. It's Facebook. And I think that was actually you know, one of the motivations behind, I don't know if you saw yesterday, they just hired Josh Elman yeah. and he's going to be a PM for app discovery, right? They've created a whole role for that. They've created a whole division within the app store. Uh, so he'll, he'll report up to the app store um, lead and he's just going to, all he's going to be doing is running, P, uh, running a, a PM function for app discovery. They just, they have to take that control back. I think that's the kind of genesis of the, of the war. So, so is it, so they have to take back the control. Does that mean that, because there's like two things. 
they have to take back the control for the usability factor or uh, is this driven by revenues? Like which one is more important? I think it's both. I think it's not very aptly to have these hyper casual games be top downloaded to, to, to those, for those to be like the most popular apps that people are playing, right? That's just not an Apple. Um, that's just, that's just not, a, that doesn't fit within the Apple paradigm. Apple's very design centric. They, they for sure don't use metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the latest in 3d touch. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. No, no Apple maps integration into that. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, uh, I, one time I was working on a, on a, and you'll know what what game I'm talking about. I was working on a game uh, that was a, a real world uh, map game, uh, like oh, a location based yeah. game. And we went to Apple and we were showing them. Did it have them, tanks? Did it, did uh, tanks? Yeah, yeah, it had tanks. <laughs> and 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 the, our app store rep was like, you know, this would be a lot better if you used Apple Maps. And we were like, what? Like that would you you talk about like starting from zero? I'd have, you have to rebuild this game from scratch. But Apple doesn't make any sense. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, it, 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 it's it's that. So it's just the just the look and feel. It's it's sort of like uh, runs counter to the way the App Store the, the Apple likes to run to to sort of manage their products. Um, but also it's just not good for Apple. Apple, Apple is interested in the app store supporting, well, the app store is a, a revenue driver, right? It's, it's a, it, it, the app store drives, uh, services revenue, right? And it's a big component of that. And that's become much, much more important for Apple in the past X years. Um, and so Apple wants to wrap its arms around all of that, right? So it's not just about, you know, the, the control, I mean, which it is, but it, it wants to use that as a means of driving like revenues that it feels like are sustainable and that it actually gets a cut of, it doesn't get a cut of any hyper casual games revenue. It doesn't get any cut of, of any ad revenue. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, it wants to promote the apps that actually sort of like lead to like revenue growth for it, uh, which a lot of these apps don't like hyper casual, any sort of advertising driven app doesn't. Um, but then also like the look and feel aspect of it, um, that's a real differentiator, right? I mean, that's a real platform differentiator. If it can make that like the premier destination, which is more in line with like the kind of the iPhone's appeal, um, then potentially that helps to drive hardware revenues, potentially that helps drive uh, stickiness, right? With, uh, um, with the platform. So I think there's, there's, there's a revenue component to that. I don't know if the revenue piece is, is as direct as people think. I mean, I think a lot of people think, no, this was just a play to sideline uh, Facebook so that Apple could kind of promote its own advertising uh, network. I think that's part of it. Um, and if you look at some of the details around Apple's uh, ad targeting settings in iOS 14 and how they're kind of privileged in that respect, they have, a, they have like a, basically in a parallel um, ad targeting uh, set of ad targeting parameters that are not affected by opt-in. Uh, they're not affected by any of the ATT stuff. Uh, that's, uh, that's suspect, right? And and so there's there's part of that I think is at play here, and part of that growth in that um, in ASA as as a sort of revenue stream for the services division. But I, I don't think that was the sole reason. I actually wrote an article about it. I think there's like four motivations, and they're all kind of like um, you know there's like sort of equal enthusiasm for all of them. It's called why is Apple reshaping the app economy? But I think revenue is part of it, and uh, ad revenue is part of it. But I think it was a combination of a bunch of these things, and also just wanting to hurt Facebook. Yeah. So when they threw the grenade, the IDFA grenade and kind of blew up the, uh, you know, the high level, not high level, the, uh, the sophisticated performance marketing, it doesn't really hurt Apple because they are essentially pushing back the control to the storefront and they have their own SK ad network with Apple search ads that are actually benefiting from, from that type of stuff. So for them blowing up the sophisticated route is, is not a problem. And also it kind of helps them 
because it hurts the companies that are most optimized in their performance marketing. Am I correct? And it kind of it kind of helps the uh, the medium and the low level to rise up. And those are the perfect clients for Apple because they listen to anything Apple says because for them yeah. the featuring is so important. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So this this helps uh, 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 King. This helps uh, Rovio. This helps these like bro- these companies that make broadly appealing apps um, that you know don't rely on whale driven monetization. Because it's it's really, I mean, I think pe- people call this the apocalypse, and in some ways, it's 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 apocalyptic just in the fact that it requires a ton of work. I mean, even if you are a king of Rovio, I mean, you're still running UA, and you still have to reconstruct your entire UA infrastructure, and this is a pain. It's it's painful, right? It's not an easy process. Everything had been built around the idea of faith, but there's life after ATT. Uh, for for some companies, there's not, right? But it's it's not that many companies, and it's not that big of a segment of the market. Um, I think the 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 problem is just the the work involved in in rebuilding the the infrastructure. But once you do that, I mean, some companies are going to benefit from this. Some companies will be better off for this, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this isn't like it's not it's not um it's not universally painful, and it's not evenly painful. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 why I kind of, I mean, that's the way I was seeing. And also, what do you think is going to happen to IPs? I mean, I mean, so you had this GDC talk about IPs before. And you kind of yeah. you know drop the mic on IPs. So going back now, if you could do a GDC talk, I mean, you could do a GDC talk about IPs next year. Are they going to be more valuable for mobile games now that the IDFA deprecated? So you get basically that broad appeal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think so. I mean, the same the same problems will still apply, which is like there are crappy IPs and there are IP owners that are not willing to you know make reasonable sort of uh, you know negotiations in 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 um in these kind of licensing deals but but yeah i think i think for sure ip is gonna we're gonna go back to 2015 era Mm -hmm. i mean you remember when glue just started off that um ip frenzy we're gonna go back to that time where everybody's gonna be fighting over these ips uh just just because it's gonna be good scopely is gonna be well positioned yeah but a lot of their games are these 4x games that are dependent on the whale monetization right kind of kind of but you do you remember the uh game of thrones game from warner brothers that yeah. did extremely well. And word on the street was that their their CPIs were ridiculously low. Like for, for a strategy game, they couldn't buy enough. Huh. Well, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I guess yeah, Scopely's got uh what uh Yahtzee. Yeah, uh, they got the Lo- Looney Tunes, but the yeah, WWE Avatar, game is they got the uh, the RP, uh, the um, Marvel. Yeah. Again, no what what's that called? The zombie game. Um Oh, uh, Walking Dead. Walking Dead, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, WWE, they got they got a bunch of stuff. I think I feel like almost everything that they have is is very much um, IP driven. But yeah, that's just one an example. And you mentioned King because they have such a big network already, and everybody yeah. knows Candy Crush, and they're now doing Crash Bandicoot and all these kind of like casual Activision IPs. And of course, Rovio with Angry Birds, they're probably gonna gonna benefit from this. So uh, I wanted to ask one more question. You said. Google is the enemy of, of both Facebook and Apple. How come? Well, because they own they own the OS and uh, the ad network, right? I mean, they're the hardware and the distribution mechanic, which has always been their stick. Their stick going back to Google as a desktop ad network has always been um, they were the exchange and they were the DSP. Like they owned the, the, the pipes and they owned the kind of business logic on top. And that's the same as it, you know, apply that to mobile. They own Android and they own the ad network on top of Android. And so that's just, 
Um, and which is just kind of that's that's why I mean, like Apple owns iOS and Facebook own the ad network, but neither of them had both. Well, Google has both. Right. And it's that's a very sort of um, intimidating opponent. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. So um, do you think Google is going to follow this IDFA deprecation? Like, does it does it help? I mean, they don't use IDFA. They had the different different um, ID measurement but does it help yeah. them or hurt them if they kind of follow the suit or when they follow the suit they can't they can't they can't follow in exactly the same way um i think they will do something because they have to there's just too much scrutiny right now the antitrust uh scrutiny is, is running hot and actually one thing that people aren't really talking about is biden biden being president is very bad for these big tech companies i think um it's it's so they they all I think they were all kind of waiting and maybe Google was waiting even on this point. Um, but I, I, I think that they, they just as an ad network and that's their core business, right? They can't replicate this ATT system. Well, I think what they're going to do is I wrote a piece about this a while back. Um, so they have the, the equivalent of the IDFA on Android is the GAID, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it, it functions in the exact same way. I think what they're going to do is they're, they're basically, they've got, so Firebase is, you know, the Google analytics platform that, that app developers integrate and that's their app analytics. Well, that already was doing attribution. Just people didn't use it. Um, so you could already run attribution through Firebase. I think what they're going to do is they're going to say, look, this has got to be your attribution uh, platform. Use Firebase's attribution. Now you will, you as an app developer will only get back the sort of campaign level metrics from Firebase. Um, but the ad networks will get back the in-app events. So we'll, we'll keep sending the GAID indexed events to the ad networks from Firebase and we'll get them as Google because all um, we're an ad network, right? Um, so all the networks will get these events, but you as an advertiser from Firebase will only get the campaign level events, kind of like what you're going to get from SK ad network. Um, so that feels like a, a decent privacy compromise because you could tell users, hey, these these app developers aren't getting, you know, your GAID. They don't know who you are. They can't index this. And then, um, you know, while also basically not impacting the performance of the ad targeting. Hmm. No. Okay. So, so what is, like, what's, okay, no, I understand what Google is doing. I understand what, what Apple is doing. So what is Facebook going to do? Because they're kind of, you know, falling in, in between. Man, that's a good question. Um. I don't know. I think Facebook is playing chicken with Apple right now. So Facebook had said they were going to issue guidance around next steps. Um, so they did this big dramatic, you know, in, right before iOS 14 was supposed to launch before the delay. Uh, they did this big dramatic announcement and they said, oh, you know, we have to change everything. We're going to kill off fan. Um, we're changing the way you're gonna have to create a new advertiser account to run iOS 14 campaigns. And I mean, to be fair to Facebook, I mean, this was really damaging to them and I don't know what they were, they, you know, they, 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 they played this the right way, but it's kind of like when one of those, those soccer players falls on the ground in a soccer match, like, come on, buddy. You know what I mean? I, he didn't touch you. Or, I mean, it, it, this is different because Apple really did touch Facebook, but I mean, they were just like, they were, they were making a show of it. it and, uh, it was a clean tackle. It was a clean tackle. And this guy's <laughs> writhing around. You know, like his leg is broken in 18 places. <laughs> but so they made this big show of it and they said, look, you know, this is going to be very damaging. And then the delay happened and they just didn't, they kind of, they kind of did an update and they said, okay, well, you, you, you don't have to make a new ad account and we're probably going to be able to give you more than nine campaign IDs to use because there's all these limitations, but they didn't issue any other guidance. And they said originally they were going to issue more guidance in end of November. Well, it's December 1st, right? Um, I think they're playing chicken because they know how they know how catastrophic this is for some advertisers, right? And, and even like I would say for every advertiser, it's a big pain. 
And every advertiser is probably going to, going to, you can't operate the same way. And so every advertiser, if they try to operate in the same way is going to see like a loss of efficiency. Now, some are going to adapt to the new environment and be better off in the medium term, but in the short term, it's going to be pain. It's, it will be painful for everybody. I can say. And so, um, you know, I think Facebook's just saying, look, you know, there's nothing we can do. Apple, Apple needs to provide the guidance and, and, you know, we're just an ad network, which in reality they're okay. The number one ad network, but but they are just an ad network. Apple does need to kind of, you know, uh, light the torch here and show the way, which they're not doing a very good job. I mean, Apple is Apple. Apple has not handled this, I think, in a very organized fashion. And they could have been much more deliberate and much clearer around this. And they've kind of taken the normal Apple approach, which is like, we're going to give you just like a very little information and we're very secretive and it's going to be very cryptic, but that doesn't work. Right. You know, you, first of all, you had a, a pandemic going on. People aren't in the same office. It's hard to coordinate these efforts in the first place. Yeah. Now we're going into the holidays. Like, come on, you, you sh they should be, they should be a lot more. I think it should be a lot clearer here. And I mean, it's, it's, it's causing like real grief to, to developers. Well, that's how I don't like, that's how Apple normally works. I mean, and it's not that they are, it's not that the individuals are secretive, but to my experience, it's like, they don't share much information internally yeah, uh, because they don't want it to leak and so forth and so forth. So as a culture, they've kind of keep a lid on all the information. So it gives outside the view that these guys are so secretive, but the fact that they just don't know, like the yeah. individuals yeah, yeah, don't yeah. know. So, so yeah, I, I understand that that has happened to me multiple times. And then you kind of understand like, oh, you don't know. It's like, well, yeah, right. let us know. Like they know when a new iPhone is released, the moment you know, then when the new iPhone is released, yeah. <laughs> there's no, no information. Yeah, that's. That's totally true. It's like I, I interviewed there for a job. Um, they were, I, I don't know. It was weird. They were like, yeah, we're, they, they reached out and they wanted to, you know, they like, we want to hire you. And I did like three onsite interviews and I didn't get it. Um, but at one point I was, I was, um, I had an interview with like, I think a pretty senior person in the, in the EMEA uh, team. And he was telling me about their culture. It's like, yeah, I mean, the person that sits right next to you may not know anything about what you're working on and and you can't let them know anything like we're very secretive here and i was like this is kind of odd i don't know if i could deal with that and then i was like you guys know i read a blog about right? it can i yeah can I <laughs> like why why'd you even reach out to me yeah. like you know i write this blog and i'm just blabbing on twitter all day yeah. long like, why would you want <laughs> why would why do you think my my personality would be a good fit for this kind of environment <laughs> And so, so you missed out on the great gig with iAds, right? <laughs> no, it wasn't iAds. It was to be the uh, to the the EMEA App Store rep, mm. which um, uh, it was funny because I, I didn't. I said so I didn't get it, which I didn't. It was weird because I was like, okay, they're not gonna. There's no way they're gonna bring me in for another round of interviews, and they kept bringing me in, and they brought me in like the last round, and they're like, okay, this is the last round. Um, and I had to pitch like I had to, I think I, I if I remember correctly, I had, I had to pitch as if I was an app developer pitching them for featuring. Mm -hmm. um, so it was kind of weird because that wasn't like a showcase of how I'd handle that job. But anyway, I think I, I thought I handled that fine. Um, and then they told me I didn't get it. And then I met. So then at Slush and then I heard about the person who got it. Um, and at Slush, I threw my party, you know, the party that I used to throw every year. Um, and uh, the, you know, that men parties that you used to throw every year everywhere. So I don't even know which party I, you're talking about. I, I know COVID disrupted everything. <laughs> uh, COVID really, COVID really threw a monkey wrench into my party schedule. <laughs> uh, 
but uh uh so you know that venue that i had it at they had like two venues it's the front venue which is like the actual restaurant mm-hmm. or the, the the restaurant trust bar and in the back was like a dedicated party venue and that was the first year i was throwing it so i went and i accidentally walked into the party venue not knowing which one mine was um which one i'd reserved and that person who had got that job was at the door and they're like what are you doing here and I was like, oh, sorry, I'm kind of my party. Like, this is not your party. This is an Apple party and you have to be on the guest list and you are not on the guest list. And I was like, whoa, relax. I was like, oh, and then I kind of realized, like, oh yeah, there's another van. I was like, okay, here. And so I think I think that person knew about me as well. I thought I was like coming to crash the party or something. I don't know. <laughs> just, is that person German? Was, no, no, no. That would have been more interesting in a German accent. <laughs> would have been would have been scary in a German yeah. accent. What is what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, all right, that's that's weird. That's weird. Though, on the other hand, if you would have been Apple rep, you'd be like four hundred pounds right now because everybody's taking you out all the time. Oh man, <laughs> the yeah. Best dinners, the best yeah. we've ever had is with Apple rep. So shout out! I can't wait for all this idea fade to get deprecated so we can take the Apple guys out again to all the best restaurants and <laughs> pitch them our games. Yeah, man. Well, I, I always lived in in um, in in Europe when I was in a role where I would interact with Apple reps. And like in Berlin, there's not, I don't know, maybe I just never went to the, but there's not like, it's not like a restaurant call. It's not like a high-end restaurant culture. That's it's true. like, yeah, there's, there's, there's tons of. Let's be honest. They didn't, they, you know, Schweineschnitzel and Pommes. Like, <laughs> come on. They do other things well, but not the food. Yeah, the food, I mean, there's no food scene, and I, I don't think. I mean, maybe it's changed, but there's no food scene in Berlin. And then Helsinki, there's like I think there's like a nascent food scene, but when I was living there, there was like no food scene. No. Like it's, it's not like you know, it's a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's I mean, it's definitely much better than when I was living there. I mean, every time I go back, I'm I'm kind of uh, shocked at how how much better it's gotten with like food and and uh, nightlife and stuff. San Francisco's got a food scene, but it's like yeah, the only the only the only clientele they cater to is business because you're not going out. No. You're not going out to, to dinner in San Francisco without dropping like 400 bucks. Oh, the, the, the rep dinners, like the best rep dinners are always in San Francisco. Like you go to those Michelin star restaurants. Yeah. Like sometimes if you go all the way to three star Michelin in San Francisco, then you can get both Google and Apple reps in the same room. Just saying. <laughs> it's a, it's yeah. a, I've seen this before. This happens. <laughs> I wonder what, how big does your account have to be to like, uh, to get them to take you to French laundry? <laughs> that's gotta be like a pretty that's gonna be play that's the play rex is getting the, the french laundry treatment that's that's true no it's a it's a we're not hating on it it's a good gig it's a it's a really good gig and and now they will have again more power so uh i'm i'm actually looking forward i've always had fun with with both of the reps both google reps and apple reps i think they're i think they're great and um it's just it's like a fun conversation usually surrounded by the best food you can get for so yeah they're looking forward to that um, all right, so let's switch gears for, for another thing. So I wrote a little bit on marketability, which I don't write that much about. And I kind of, you know, I wrote about marketability being a loop and not a funnel. So I kind of wanted to get your opinion on this. And let's take a step back because I got a lot of comments and I don't want to, you know, keep repeating myself, but this is my experience with marketability. Like let's slash all the Facebook days. Let's go to like 2017. And back in the days I was working at FunPlus and and King of Avalon was, was crushing it. Like top one grossing on, on, on few days actually in the world. So really successful game. And um, th- of course there were a bunch of creatives that were being run. And one of the creatives were doing fantastically. Like the robots were out of, out of control. 
it was really pulling a lot of players. And that was the kind of creative I'm sure people remember if you've ever seen strategy ads on, on Facebook. It's the one where you have these kind of like 1700, 1600s, like Cossacks. They're kind of traveling. Like, it looks like an RTS game. They're, they're going somewhere and then that rider gets back and then they get ambushed and there's like cannons and musketeers and that kind of stuff. And naturally yeah. it has nothing to do with King of motherfucking Avalon. Like musketeers yeah. <laughs> and that, the, nothing to do with it. Nevertheless, absolutely fantastic performance. And, um, and the decision was made because this ad does so well is why not to reskin King of Avalon and call it, you know, Guns of Glory. And that yeah. is made and it was, you know, hyper successful, doing even better than, than King of Avalon or almost on par. So just basically you double your, your revenue with lower CPI. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, of course, the company was like, oh, my God, we found the secret on how to multiply your money all the time. And that is yeah. marketability. So there was a lot of investment being done in marketability. And that's what we're, where I've seen uh, this marketability stuff working. And and one time we did a lot of tests and um, and there was a there was a multiple different themes. And one of the themes that really, really stood out was the one with dinosaurs and lasers and and. Um, people who have worked with me know that I fucking love dinosaurs and lasers <laughs> because it really stands out. <laughs> and um, and this this actually became a game. So it was called Dino Wars. So you can still find it on the App Store. And it's, again, same game. It's King of Avalon. It's Guns of Glory. But now with dinosaurs, with lasers that are being ridden by guys. So it's just insane. And um, this game was a fail. Like it, it just, yeah. Yeah, despite having the highest IPM, despite performing by far the best that we've ever seen. So I was kind of bummed on marketability tests because I've seen one perform phenomenally and I've seen the other one where the indications were even better perform not that well. And at the and so I, I didn't know what to believe. Then fast forward a little bit, I was, um, I was visiting this uh, racing studio. They make only, only racing game. And um, they talked about how they approached the development. And one of the things that they they kind of believed in is launching game as fast as possible because they were like, well, we don't trust marketability that much. And essentially we're making racing games. So we just want to get fast to the market and see the numbers. And then we decide whether we want to continue or not. Pretty smart, right? You know, you have all the assets for cars, so that should be pretty easy. So they spend between three to six months to make a game, to launch that and to basically soft launch a game. And one of their games, um, I'm, well, I'm not giving, giving away too much. This game looked really sick. I mean, it had drifting, and the early metrics were fantastic. Like after six months of development, it was just, it was just, it looked like the next big hit. It looked better than CSR. So, and this is not CSR studio anyway. So, so um, everything went great. Uh, they decided to invest a lot into this game and kind of complete it and just add more content and it totally bombed. Uh, I just yeah. didn't retain actually players when, when it went further than that. And um, they couldn't scale in any way. So they were in a kind of a pinch and they had one game in development that had absolutely shitty day one retention. I'm talking about like, just can this game right away, D1 retention. Like don't even yeah. look at it and fire the person who made it type of day one <laughs> retention. <laughs> don't ever speak his name again in the studio. So they were kind of forced, their hand was forced to launch this game because, you know, so they didn't, they, they just had to because they invested so much in this one. And it became their best grossing game ever. So oh, really? not that the day one retention grew anywhere, but it actually stayed stable. So yeah. the curve was, was pretty much stable. And, um, and the outcome from these are just two examples. Of course, there's multiple different examples. I like talking to different studios and understanding how they make games because everybody has a different philosophy and everybody's philosophy of making. But I had these two 
examples that I wanted to bring forward. And I was like, what the fuck? Like marketability, launching fast, nothing seems to really result in anything. You can go really fast and fail. You can test marketability early on and fail or succeed or other ways around. So when I wrote about like marketability being a loop, it, it kind of came through this point of, of understanding audience a little bit better. So I've done focus group tests before and they are very expensive. They take a long time and it, they're very much dependent on who runs them. So my experience from them was also quite varied. And then I started using this, this platform. I, you know, I don't know if you've tried 12 trades, but I'm sure there are other type of platforms like that. Uh, but nevertheless, I started using 12 trades and, and it had, it had very much like this detailed information about your audience. And what I really liked is you can actually just press a button and that audience gets transformed to your Facebook marketing campaign. So you can actually start testing it. And mm. the way I understand marketability now is I really need to hone in on, on the target audience so I can create the type of creative and type of feel. Then I no. test that through the marketability and I just don't stop there. It just has to be constantly ongoing right? because your audience changes the market changes, everything changes. You can't be like, boom, yep, we got the uh, the IPM of this or the CPI of that. We're done. Let's go forward. Let's invest two years into development or, or you know, X amount of millions. You just have to be constantly doing it and constantly understanding who your audience is. And, and through that, you're able to, to continue scaling. Because one of the feedback that I got also is like people tested marketability early on. And then, but they didn't know how big the audience was. So they couldn't scale the game or the CPIs went out too fast. Yeah. And, and for me, it's again, it's the loop question. It's like, well, was that the same audience? Were you acquiring a different type of audience? Were the expectations different? Like you have to keep on changing your creatives based on who you are acquiring in order to keep right. BPIs low. So that, that's kind of like a summary that I, that I kind of wrote and, and didn't have time to explain to people who were just, you know, pinging me. No, you, uh, Morpheus handed you the red pill, man. That's, that's the learning. That's like the next level uh of uh of awareness it's that's that i so you're totally right and um i mean i feel like that's that's something that i've just had a hard time articulating in the past because it's it's a very it's it's a it's complex right and i think a lot of times especially at game studios um and i, I would say maybe more so at game studios than like if you think about just a consumer app right like a airbnb or something but you've got the the ua team and the product team and like, if things instantly, if the, if the sort of configuration of like, Hey, we picked this audience and it perfectly matches this game. If those don't just align right out of the bat, almost by chance, then it's just finger pointing. You're not bringing the right players in. It's like, well, the game is not optimized. But, and so, um, that feedback loop, that is so important. And that's why I think like a UA team is not, a, well, that's why I think, I think honestly, I, I've become, I've come to hate the, the, the phrase user acquisition. I think that's not. I don't think anybody should want to be a user acquisition person. I think it's a dead end job, first of all. Um, but second of all, I think that just that describes like a very sort of like stiff, almost superficial group of people that just like clicks buttons in Facebook Ads Manager. You want to be the person that kind of wraps their arms around that entire funnel and manages that ping pong back and forth feedback loop. That's a real job, right? That's 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 having impact on product. That's having impact on marketing. And I think a big part of of marketing is is that audience development, understanding the audience, and understanding, hey, you know, well, we can bring the the the, the game appeals to this audience, so let's go chase that audience. Hey, that there's not that many of that audience, or they're really competitive to reach. Well, hey, then you know what? Let's take back back to the product and say, you know what? We shouldn't build a product that appeals to that audience because it's too they're too expensive to acquire. So let's let's find another audience. Let's let's change the app. Let's change the product in such a way that. When we bring in this different slice of people, this different group of people, they actually like the product. 
Um, and that kind of back and forth feedback loop that is that is product development, really, to my mind. Yeah. Um, it, but I, I thought your piece, your piece, your piece hit on that really well. It's like you know you could do a, a straight up CPI test, and that, that's a data point, right? It's not it's not necessarily like useless. Uh, that gives you a data point, but really it's that development. It's like it's almost like it, you're almost taking the first derivative of that. That's how you get to real progress. It's like okay, now let's change it and see the rate of change and how how much can we scale this, right? Because like okay, I can run a test and do you know a hundred hundred players. Right. And, and the CPI was low. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and well, okay, we don't have any monetization because it's a really early beta. So we don't know what the ROAS is. And we, but even if we did, how far is the question is how far does that scale? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you you gotta be careful with that word loops. Cause you're going to trigger people. Cause there's this whole school that's, that's, that's kind of come to the fore around like quote unquote growth and like growth hacking, like, the, you know, the growth hackers of like 2017, yeah, they yeah. kind of, they evolved into this, like this, like same kind of like pseudo intellectual, uh, kind of, uh, uh, milieu. Uh, but now they call themselves like growth experts or like just, you know, growth, uh, artisans. And they talk about growth loops all day. And it's just it's 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 just like the most like inane stuff you've ever read. But if you use that word loop, you're gonna turn off a lot of people because they're thinking you're talking about like growth loops. Like, oh, it's I don't know. Did you see that thread about the guy or that thread with that um, that bozo who's he's got this 20, 20 tweet thread mm -hmm. talking about why OnlyFans is successful, and he's talking about the growth loops, and he's talking about oh, it's the oh. growth, it's the loops. And he doesn't once mention the fact that it's porn and it's in a pandemic, right? <laughs> it's just... I, I, listen, I'm not on Twitter. Like I know you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter. Like yeah, I yeah, yeah. stuff and I never read anybody's tweets. So if you tweet at me or you do whatever topic, yeah. I do not care less. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just fire and, and go away. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, I, that's actually that, I like the word triggered. Maybe we should call this podcast series like triggered growth or something like that. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, so, but, but for me, it, it really was about that understanding of the audience. And then I, I had a lot of talks with, uh, with Joe from 12 Trades, and he was kind of going through multiple different, you know, examples and companies they work with and, and walking me through of the change of the audience inside the game and how big of an impact that that is really on, on, on marketing. And yeah. we've had that before, like from the product side, you're always, you know, going crazy when your D one starts, starts dropping. And then the yeah. that are being acquired are worse than before. You're like, what's going on? What's happening? Right. But they're actually just different. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, last topic, last thing that I wanted to cover with you, uh, since we're triggering, uh, let's talk yeah. about Apple's platform reduction fee. So, you know, everybody knows it. So basically for the, if your company makes less than a million, you have to pay only 15% tax to Apple instead of a 30. Um, and then if it goes over that million, then they start basically, you know, charging you for the full 30 of, of what goes over that. Uh, this really touches most of the app developers, to be honest, because there's like a million of them. Uh, but it doesn't, of course, affect the ones that actually bring the money. So this is a kind of like an interesting juxtaposition of, of catering to majority that is not actually bringing, yeah. that brings only absolute fraction of your whole revenue. Right. It's actually like paying like 2% or less than 2% of the whole revenues for the whole service. So what do you think about this? 
I mean, I think it was just brilliant. It was brilliant. It was a, it was a, it's a, this was a masterclass in taking control of the narrative because exactly what you just said, this doesn't affect their revenue at all, but it affects the vast majority of app developers. You can be like, yeah, Apple's listening. Yeah. And hey, they are right. They are. Um, but it, epics and i mean uh, tim sweeney just threw a temper tantrum i mean well no tim sweeney this was this they they baited him and he took it and he starts comparing himself to rosa parks or start he starts saying all this stuff he starts bringing this back to uh you know the 60s uh with racial equality and it's like dude you just got played you just because now the story is about what are you talking about are you kidding me he got played so bad it, that was horrible PR for Epic. I don't know if they have a PR team because I imagine it's pretty hard to contain Tim Sweeney. But if they do, they were not happy. Yeah. Uh, they got they got played. They got baited. They got that was a bear trap that Apple set. <laughs> no, it's like you're making me sit in the back of the. It's like what? What are you talking about? You're a billionaire. Yeah. What are you? <laughs> it, but it was it was perfect PR. Um, yeah, I think I did, I did like a really quick and like rough and dirty analysis. I mean. It was less than two, yeah, less than two percent of revenues would be affected or something. Uh, this, I, I honestly, it Apple's fee was already low. That thirty percent is historically low, right? I think people don't get that context, right? Like, I remember someone telling me that, uh, you know, when there were a bunch of game developers in the audience at the first WWDC that that the that the App Store was introduced, and uh, and when when Steve Jobs announced that, oh yeah, we're only going to take a thirty percent cut, they just started cheering. Because the rates that they paid to get games published um, on dumb phones were just so high, right? And it, I was actually just doing a, an analysis of uh, Roblox's S1 um, for this uh, for this project I'm working on with a few people. And if you look at the take rate for Roblox, I mean, it's like Roblox, they say on average, the developer gets 24.5% of revenues, right? And so that's the revenue that their game is generating. They get 24.5% of it. Um, so, I mean, if, and if you compare 30% across the board, it's, it's, that's pretty, that's the norm, right? And that's historically low from, you know, the smart, the dumb phone era or all these other sort of pl publishing platforms. Um, so I think like, you know, it's these big, these big companies that are complaining about it. It's like, well, I, I get it. Like it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, at, at this level of scale, like, yeah, okay. You're giving up a big chunk of your revenue, but like historically that's low and then relative to other platforms, that's pretty low. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um. I know we covered this in a in a weird way on on Twig because um, Cress was was very much like defending defending Epic and and I agree with you. It's it's definitely really good communication from the Apple. It's um that's that's what you get when you have a good comms team and you can kind of control the narrative. But um but yeah, it's it's um I don't know. There's nothing really that the developers can do now. It's it's um it's kind of like a weird position like they are really changing the game and we understand why they're doing it because of the Facebook and the Google situation. And they're kind of taking more ownership of their own platform. But then at the same time, it's like, I don't know, they're hurting the developers, but then they're doing something good for the majority of them, but that the minority yeah. is getting hurt and that kind of stuff. So uh, it's a, it, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird situation and, and things are changing slowly like you've been writing about these platform wars for three yeah. years four years right. and only now we're kind of seeing what happens and now they uh, the discoverability is being worked on but when is that going to change is it going to be like netflix in what in five years or something right yeah i think it's what's well, interesting i don't know did you read that article that was going around about um about roblox and it's got a lot of concentration in like the number one game 
and how to how to get around that. And it was the author kind of proposed these three solutions that I mean, it was a, it was a thoughtful piece, but I think the solutions he proposed weren't realistic. He's one of them was, well, just use a um, use like a, 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 a use apply like a decreasing take rate, mm-hmm. um, or no, 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 apply an increasing take rate. Right, so you know, Valve has a decreasing take rate as the as the developers' revenue scale. They they actually pay less. They pay less of a platform fee, so that incentivizes them to invest. And this this person's uh, one of their proposals was well, imply an increasing take rate, right? So the low, you know, the which is kind of like what Apple's doing, but it was more progressive. It was, um, you know, there were more tiers. And I was thinking, well, that's that's just going to piss developers off because like the the more successful they are, the more money they're giving up, and it's like a, it's like an increasing tax. Right. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't really motivate more investment in the platform. And you're going to get to a point where like, hey, the optimal level investments right here. If we invest any more, we're not getting as much money back. Um, and then the other the other one of the other proposals was like, we'll force them to do cross promo to other people's apps. It's like, well, that's not going to work either. No one wants to lose their users to another. It's like the only way to the only way to get over this is to motivate more investment from the developer, make them more excited about the opportunity on the platform. Right. And so I think this Apple's kind of it's Apple's kind of towing a tough line here because if they had done the opposite and they said, okay, we're going to just add, we're going to Epic's going to get hit with a higher, uh, or sorry, Epic's going to get hit with a lower tax. Right. So once you get to some level, you pay less. Then then the vast majority of people would be like, well, wait a minute. How it's like that kind of argument that you hear in the US. Like, why does, why does my secretary pay more in tax than I do? Right. right. Like, you don't want that's a bad situation to be in. Um, so I think they handled it in the perfect way. And they just, there's this minority of people and they didn't get anything out of this. Um, but you know the, the the vast majority did, and they're happy about it. And like they listen to the the kind of you know the small developers who were the ones that are the most vocal on on Twitter and and elsewhere, saying like, look, this thirty percent, it's it's unreasonable. I'm trying to make a living here, and you're taking thirty percent off the top. Yeah. Uh, whereas you know you got Fortnite, which is like the biggest you know the biggest game that's existed in the last X years, and it's also multi-platform. And also, let's let's face it, the reason. Epic Epic's whole battle here is to clear the path for them to to put the Epic Store on the on the App Store, so that they can charge developers twelve percent of revenues. Like they're not these they're not charitable, right? They're not running a charity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um this is this is really interesting. And what do you like? Where do you see this going? Is it is it going towards you know if we consider Chinese market? I don't know too much about Chinese market, but they used to have tons of different app stores, but now they have more than we do but but um but less what they used to have is it is this going towards that type of direction is facebook gonna push towards having you know their their app store yeah i think they want to but that's that's part of what i was talking about in the the recent um kind of series i did about the future of platforms i don't think it'll be it won't it won't be like an app store like like what we like like what we're used to like like the app store it won't be a competing app store i don't think that ever gets passed um I don't, I don't think that ever gets past Apple's like reluctance to do that. But I think what it looks like is, you know, first of all, did you see that Google Stadia um, and, and NVIDIA's uh, game streaming services are moving to the mobile web, right? So they can do this and uh, on the mobile web and Facebook's got its games platform that's on Android. It's on the mobile, it's on desktop web. They'll move it to mobile web. I think it looks like that. I think it looks like Facebook operates. I've got, I play, I play with, I interact with Facebook on my phone. I interact with Facebook on my Facebook portal. I interact with Facebook on my desktop. Maybe it's somebody I interact with on my TV. I think that's 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 the platform. The platform is this like um, this this tissue, this connective tissue that 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 sits between all these different form factors and is it, it and, and just it touches me in different like moments of the day or touches me at different frequencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's it. And so like, does it really matter that Facebook can't have a Facebook Games app? 
um, if I could load it up in my browser or if I'm interacting with Facebook and all these different touch points anyway that aren't dependent on the app store, that aren't dependent on my phone. And then Apple kind of is operating, well, just one tiny sliver of that entire sort of um, in that entire sort of constellation of input devices that I that I interact with every day. I think that's that's where Apple may have backed themselves into a corner. Like long term, strategically, that's bad for Apple, right? If they're just operating this one of these items, and the the big platforms that I interact with are these things that operate across all these different form factors that I touch every single day. Yeah, that that makes total sense because even now, if we consider the Chinese market, a lot of games are just being directly promoted so that people can just install the APK and start playing the game instead mm-hmm. of going through the store. And of course, there yeah. you you know whatever ninety percent of your revenues versus giving like. 50 or what, whatever the shares right. are with the, with the platform holders. That makes total sense. So they're kind of fighting for, for the, uh, for the pie that currently exists versus thinking about what's going to happen in the future where, where the pie is moving, you know, to the cloud essentially. And you don't need, yeah. you don't need the storefront to get to the store. Right. Yeah, exactly. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then with the, uh, with, and so essentially like in the long term, actually Facebook is in a better position because they are just investing into this distribution and the distribution is, is um, it doesn't matter whether you have to go through the store or whether it's just purely in, in a browser. Right. And then at some point that dependency flips, right? If Facebook gets there, like if Facebook gets there with any of these products um, and users are like, hey, wait a minute, I want to play my Facebook games on my iPhone. Why aren't you, why are you making this hard for me? Then Apple's got to relent, right? Because it's, they're, they're, they're sort of, um, they're slaves to the user. They're slaves to the customer. And if the customer wants it, they have to do it. Right. And if Facebook is allowed outside of the Apple ecosystem to grow and grow and grow this sort of like this kind of connection of this, this, um, this muscle tissue, this connect, this connective tissue, then Apple at some point, it will just be under too much pressure from, from customers to sort of resist having it. Hmm. I get it. This is fascinating. All right. Let's wrap this up. Eric, how do people can get hold of you? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Eric underscore Sufert, uh, LinkedIn, of course, and then um, mobiledevmemo.com. And podcast too, mobiledevmemo.com podcast is there. You've been doing some great episodes, especially one on the, uh, I think it was an IDFA you did a few weeks back. It was like almost two hours. Uh, yeah, we, I think maybe we had, we had Nebo and David Philipson on. Yes. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, people have been sharing that to me. I was like... Man, I've been, I've been hearing too much about IDFAs. So. Uh, tell, tell, tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's your whole job. All right. We're going to continue doing this if you guys want it. So this is the first episode of Triggered Growth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just named directly on the podcast. So catch you guys later. Bye.